Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Let's Get It Straight. This is Catherine West, Infection Control Consultant. As many of you may be aware, my primary group is working with fire EMS services. Today we're going to talk about a new term for an ongoing issue. So let's go ahead and get started. First of all, we want to define healthcare associated infections, define MTAIs, which stands for Medical Transport Associated Infection. We're going to identify the role of EMS in the prevention of MTAIs. Cite the importance of compliance monitoring in risk reduction and identify the need for an intra-facility transfer communication of patients with multi-drug resistant organisms. So let's first begin with the change in definition from hospital-associated infections to healthcare-associated infections. This came about with the passing of the Omnibus Appropriations Act of 2009, which put medical facilities on notice that they may not receive Medicare or Medicaid money for patients' hospital-associated infections. So let's define hospital-associated infection. It's an infection incurring in a patient two days after admission that is not related to the patient's admitting diagnosis. The second part of the Omnibus Act addresses infections occurring in a patient 30 days after discharge that requires readmission. So what's a possible example? A crew is not informed that a patient for transport to a medical facility has C. diff infection. The patient presents with loose watery stools. The crew cleans the vehicle with their normal cleaning agent. The next patient to be transported in the same unit is admitted to the hospital and then comes down with C. diff infection. And this was not related to that patient's admitting diagnosis. So issue number one, the crew was not notified of the patient having C. diff infection. And the crew cleaning post-transfer for a patient with C. diff requires the use of a chlorine-based cleaning solution. That, of course, wasn't used and possibly led to the second patient coming down with a C. diff infection. That, of course, was diagnosed two days after admission to the facility. So how can we resolve this discrepancy in communication? 
and there was an article published in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology Journal in the beginning of this year, 2022, that addressed the importance of having an inter-facility transfer communication, that it would resolve issue number one because it would ensure that the transport team was aware that that patient has a multi-drug resistant organism, C. diff. Proper transmission-based precautions can then be implemented. So how can we address issue number two? If we have a communication with the facilities to, from which we transport patients about uh, transporting patients with multi-drug uh, resistant organisms, then the proper cleaning solution can be utilized and the second patient would not have contracted C. diff infection. Clearly, the second patient has a healthcare-associated infection for which the medical facility may not receive government reimbursement from Medicare or Medicaid. Let's talk about what proper hand washing includes when we're dealing with this organism, Clostridium difficile. Hand washing following care of a patient with C. diff is to wash your hands with warm water and soap. Our alcohol-based foams and gels do not kill C. diff. So what about the new term that I mentioned on introduction, this medical transport associated infection? The origin of this term comes from a study from Duke University that was published in 2020. So the definition of a medical transport associated infection is any infection acquired as a direct effect of exposure in a medical transport setting. Looking at how EMS practices is not new. Medical facilities started this probably back in 2014, but it is gaining momentum, as you will see. So again, how do we define a medical transport setting? Any vehicle that is used by medical professionals to transport patients during any time, whether emergency or planned, designated or improvised. So we've addressed part one of the new Omnibus Appropriation Act, dealing with healthcare associated infections. Now there's part two, remember? And this is where community paramedicine and mobile integrated health comes in. P 
patient care at home that may result in the development of a post-op wound infection, and that patient requires readmission. And the care was under the guidance of community paramedicine, or MIH. So let's go back to the study conducted by um, Duke University. And what they did was review the literature. And it came down to for cases uh, they were looking at at organisms present in medical transport vehicles, 34 published articles were reviewed. And this was a global study review. But in this session, we're just going to talk about the data from literature from the United States. So in 2014, a study was published in pre-hospital emergency care, and it was conducted in Nevada. It involved 423 EMS response observations. What was shown was that, we'll round up, 57% of the time gloves were worn appropriately. 28% of the time hand washing was observed to be proper. 32% of the time reusable medical equipment was disinfected and 33.3% of the time, the vehicle was properly cleaned after transport. So let's take a look at some of the specific uh, compliance issues. And I think that the data that was published, that has been published, makes a good case for the importance of compliance monitoring. So in the review this, uh, of the literature, when we looked at percent of compliance, overall hand washing was observed 54 to 87.6% of the time. Cleaning of vehicles ranged between 33 and 55%. In looking at specific equipment, Stretchers were cleaned on average 55% of transport. Uh, stethoscopes, which can be in a measure of cross-contamination, cleaned 4.1% of the calls. Backboards, 31.6%, and EKG monitors, 33.8% of the patient calls. So, in looking at some additional studies from the United States that were reported in a uh, study from um, another major university, it found that stethoscopes were contaminated 32% of the time and oxygen cylinders were 96% to 100% of the time 
contaminated or colonized with MRSA. The University of Nevada, Las Vegas also did a global study review. And it was published in the Journal of Hospital Infection in 2022. And they were looking also at healthcare associated infections and organisms found within the EMS environment. Organisms that could cause or lead to healthcare associated infections were commonly found on blood pressure cups, oxygen apparatus, and patient stretchers. From looking at the listing that were presented in both of the global studies, we see that our focus for cleaning is supposed to be high touch areas or high contact areas. You may see either term used in the infection control literature. The focus of cleaning should be what was used to care for the patient and what the patient was in direct contact with. So as I mentioned in the beginning, starting to look at compliance with cleaning in the EMS care environment began at least as early as 2014 and has continued pretty much unchanged. And this, I believe, makes a case for the importance of compliance monitoring. As you may know, compliance monitoring is a required component of your department's exposure control plan. And we are to address not just bloodborne pathogens, but airborne and droplet transmitted diseases as well. So where is our reference for the fact that we have to do compliance monitoring? Show me where it says that. And it's actually in the general duty clause of the OSHA Act or OSH Act of 1970. In section five, duties, part B states very clearly each employee shall comply with occupational safety and health standards and all rules, regulations, and orders pursuant to this act, which are applicable to his own actions and conduct. Well, how do we know if they're complying unless we do compliance monitoring? This makes a point that employees play a role in their own safety. So compliance monitoring, in, as you saw in some of the data presented, was done by observation checkoff. And that is the gold standard 
for doing compliance monitoring. In new hire training, we want to advise personnel of how this process will be done and who will be responsible for conducting compliance monitoring in their workplace. And we want to keep the reports on file because they may prove helpful if a medical facility decides that a patient's healthcare associated infection was not as a result of their care, but of yours. So how can it be helpful? So how can this type of compliance monitoring be helpful? Since let's look at an example of a hand washing study that was conducted in Florida. They conducted a survey of their staff. Now remember, a survey is self-reporting. 28.9% of those responding to the study said they didn't wash their hands because they just forgot. 11.6 stated it was hard to find a hand wash solution or water for hand washing. 8% stated that wearing gloves eliminated the need for hand washing. And 2.7% stated fatigue was a major factor. So using this data, the Florida uh, system decided to develop a training program on hand washing. They added alcohol-based solution and reminder signs in the vehicles and in the stations. And then they did compliance monitoring to see what happened after the corrective action. 58.8 added that dispensers and signs in vehicles increased their hand washing compliance. 21.8% stated that dispensers and signs in the vehicles also increased hand washing compliance. So this process can lead to risk reduction for patients and staff and liability reductions should medical facilities decide to take you on um, that perhaps your way of care and cleaning led to a patient developing an infection. So are your basics in place in your department? EMS is growing in types of services and procedures, blood in the field, ECMO in the field, but do we have our basics in place to ensure that by doing those new procedures, we will not put a patient at risk for infection. So medical facilities are watching 
and will continue to be watching. And being aware of that can help us focus more on ensuring that we are covering our bases, that we are cleaning our vehicles and equipment properly to protect not only the patients we care for, but for our coworkers as well. And that concludes this session. I hope you got some helpful information. So the title was a new term for an ongoing issue. And I think we've demonstrated that unfortunately, studies have not shown real improvement in the cleaning of our vehicles and equipment post patient transport. And we got a new tip on uh, looking at getting a uh, communication agreement with facilities to which we transport so that we are aware of patients who may have a multi-drug resistant infection and we can do the proper cleaning to eradicate that organism from your vehicles. We need nothing special to do it, just to use the correct solution. If you have any additional questions or you need addition or want additional information, please feel free to contact me. That's all for now. Hopefully we will meet again for another session of Let's Get It Straight.